You're listening to a Bill Bennett podcast special feature. It's a conversation with Charles Koch. He is the chairman and CEO of Koch Industries. This episode is part six of our eight-part conversation, and we discuss the virtuous cycle. Last week, Charles mentioned the four essential elements that we need to address. This week, he explains how they work and how we can change them to better suit our needs. Okay, equal rights. And and this was the, the, the basic principle on which this country was to be founded, which is in the Declaration of Independence, that the foundation or the foundational principle for a good society is equal rights. And that is one in which government as the Declaration expressed it, is instituted to secure those rights, not to violate them. And as we, as we examine that to the extent that was practiced, uh, we became the most prosperous, the, the most successful country in history. And where it was violated has led to uh, the great majority of the, of the problems we've had in, in this country. For example, uh, African Americans and Native Americans had no rights. Women had only partial rights, and not people just think, well, that was the right to vote. No, back then women weren't allowed to go to college, and uh, and when they got married, their property was taken over by their husbands. So it was like a, a servant master relationship. Certain Im- immigrants then only had partial rights. I, I think particularly of the the Chinese and the Irish. Certain religious groups were persecuted, and we had this cronyism and protectionism from from the beginning. We had elements of that, and of course, all of those led to the problems that uh, not nothing like we've had, but but echoes of them of them today, which lead to a lot of the factions we have. And then, but then this then on on the second uh, element, mutual benefit. These, the system of equal rights needs to be designed with this concept of mutual benefit in mind. That is, uh, designed so people succeed by creating value for others. Because uh, when that happens, it creates, just as we were talking about, this culture of cooperation in, in which people uh, tend to assist each other rather than harm each other. And then this this all then leads to a, a system of of openness, uh, an open society of mutual benefit that maximizes opportunity, innovation, competition, and progress through the free exchange of of about everything: ideas, products, methods, and and people. And as we see through history, when a society, or for that matter, uh, an organization or an individual becomes closed, it makes the world and and people both poorer, and it makes it a more dangerous place. As as Bast as attributed to Bastiat, when goods don't cross borders, soldiers will. And then uh, and then on self actualization. So you, we we see that in an open society, many more people satisfy their basic needs, enabling them to realize their potential and become what Maslow called self-actualized. And as such, uh, they tend to cooperate and contribute, bringing about this society of equal rights and mutual benefit. And as I say, this isn't utopia. I'm not asking, I just, if we can be, we find if, if a society can be somewhat better, it makes huge, huge difference in the quality of life and the opportunity for everybody. Is there, I'm, I'm just uh, curious, uh, is there 
to what degree does the United States reach this, fall short of it? Is there a society that's better on these four, uh, equal rights, mutual benefit, uh, self-actualization, and uh, openness than, than, than the United States? Or has the United States itself been a better country? Was it better in the 1830s when Tocqueville talked about it? Well, no. I mean, obviously, it had all the, these problems that I'm talking about. I mean, it's it had slavery, which is a slavery and an extermination of Native Americans. Sure, you you've forsworn the utopian ideal, but I'm just thinking, uh, how close are we? What what can we expect? Is there is there a play a better place, a place to aspire to, better than we are, the place we should look to, some other country? Well, I, I think we, we see that through history. I mean, if you go through through history, I mean, you look at, at China back in the Middle Ages. It was the most advanced country in the world, both scientifically and in standard of living. And then they, they, they became closed, both, both internally and to foreign influences. And so they became one of the poorer ones. And then you look at... Uh, at the, the state of, of humanity uh, up until maybe starting in the 17th century. And, and a number of factors brought this on, what's called the great enrichment, that throughout all the millennia, humanity, the standard of living was stagnated for all but the, 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 the elite, those in power and influence. And, uh, and then we had the printing press invented around 1440, which gave people access to knowledge rather than have the elites tell them what was true and what isn't. And if they if disagreed, they were, uh, well, like uh, William Tinsdale uh, translating the Bible into English. He was burned at the stake for his troubles. And Martin Luther was threatened with that uh, for, for translating it into German. But anyway, with Martin Luther and others giving people access to the Bible so they could interpret uh, God's will on their own rather than having the elite control them and, and torture anybody who disagreed with them. And then you had Galileo and others to starting to develop the scientific method showing that the elite didn't have all the answers that anybody could. And so we had this this movement toward a system not perfect, toward equal rights and mutual benefit, and we had this explosion in well-being, and it started in the Netherlands. And by being open to refugees and uh, and trade and, and internally to different ideas, matter of fact, there was uh, the, the sign in The Hague it, which said in, in Latin, listen even to the other side. Listen even to, the, I love it. So that's that's the philosophy we we all need to me. But anyway, so so that this made Holland the most prosperous country in the world at the time, and then these ideas spread to England and other parts of Europe, to the United States, which, as you suggested, led to the Declaration of Independence and those principles on which we were, in theory, to be founded. And as I said, to the extent we've lived up to that, made us the most successful country in the world, and the extent we haven't has been uh, just a series of disasters. Two comments, just uh, just, just quickly, just to add, not, not, to, uh, not to counter, but to add. I can't remember who it was, you may, but I remember one of the main objections of somebody famous to the invention of the printing press was someone said, 
uh, goodness, no, we can't do that. Everyone will then be able to read. <laughs> God, God forbid, right? <laughs> That's true. I mean, I mean, I mean, look at it this way: you keep everybody ignorant and just do what they're told. Look at all the talent and and individual knowledge and potential that we're wasting. How do we expect to have a good society, a prosperous society, unless we have a system that enables everybody to become engaged, to become the best they can be? I mean, I've never understood that. How? What kind of hubris is that? Do you think the few really so-called smart people can determine what everybody ought to do and neglect to use the knowledge and ability of everybody? Yeah. No, you know, this translates uh, very directly, too. I remember for me, if you don't mind a digression, when people said to me, what's the curriculum for the first three years? I said, you know, we can we can pick and choose here and there, but one thing, absolutely without doubt, by the third grade, learn how to read and how to love to read. Because if you don't get that one, you know, you're not you're, you're not going anywhere. Uh, and that's that's the that's the critical one. And, and and we fail this every year. We have some 30, 35 percent who are less than proficient readers in the fourth, fifth and sixth grade. How are you supposed to cope, uh, you know, with the world if you if you cannot if you cannot read? The other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, again, I can't remember who said it, but the founders very much believed in that declaration, as you know, and in the uh, early 20th century, uh, an American diplomat uh, was was asked, you know, why why do the vast uh, cornfields of Iowa, you know, outproduce, you know, uh, the much larger area of the Ukraine? And the answer was, it's because of what we believe. It's because of the Declaration of Independence. So beliefs. And what a people believe and what constitutes the credo of a people can actually make a difference in the material world. I know that's obvious to you, but it's, but I think it's important to say. No, and that's actually, that's uh, absolutely what uh, Maslow was saying with his concept of self-actualization. That is, I know that's a fancy term, but, but it just means uh, fully developing your potential. And that's what we're talking about, a system where people have the freedom and opportunity to learn, contribute, and succeed. And then they become, none of us are perfectly self-actualized, but just by a, a little bit improvement makes the whole system so much better. Charles, may we move forward by talking about these concepts uh, in particular contexts? Uh, business, education, uh, community, government, uh, and your hypothesis about uh, the strategies we need to improve them, reform them, supplement them, bypass them. Start wherever you want. I was going to say business, but whatever you like. Yeah, uh, oh, I might start with education because as we were talking, that's that's fundamental to, to all of it. What I believe and, and the people I work with believe that uh, there are four uh, key sets of of institutions that determine what kind of society we have. One are, are all the different types of educational institutions, uh, and then there are uh, businesses are very important to this, then all the community organizations and communities themselves, and then, of course, government. And so, uh, so on all of them, to, to move toward this society of equal rights and mutual benefit, uh, all of these need to have much less of this protectionism and factionalism 
in which they erect barriers to uh, people having the opportunity to learn, contribute, and succeed, and to get them to help remove these barriers rather than than erect them. And to do that, we have, uh, as you suggested, a, a three-pronged approach of reform, supplement, bypass, and and uh, bypass or, or compete. And uh, and if we look at each one, what, okay, what do we mean by reform? We mean getting the, the, the institution to change their policies and then getting the government to change uh, its policies that affect this as they affect this institution on whether they're they're going to be removing barriers for people or, or erecting them. And then supplementing means to have programs or encourage each of these institutions to have programs that uh, that experiment and that find a better way, find out how they can do things differently. So it becomes obvious to people in these institutions that there is a better way. There's a way that they can help people have better lives rather than holding them back. And then bypass, I, I think that's that's obvious. That's setting up or encouraging people to set up alternate competitive organizations that uh, create much more value for people at lower cost. And so I might just start on on one form of education, K through 12. And so if you look at reform, you look at all the different ways that you can re- reform. Uh, you look at school choice, charter schools, uh, changing the approach of of the of the states or the school districts in in the extent to which. And and just to give you my flaw, I know you've you. you I'm sure know more about education than than I do, but I look at the uh, ed, ed, true education is different than schooling. And what I mean by schooling is schooling is a linear approach. Some teacher or professor gives you the 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 real truth, and you memorize it and regurgitate it and pass a test. That's schooling. And what's what's helped me accomplish what I have is what I've stumbled into on my own is real education is three-dimensional real education is three-dimensional we'll have charles dive deeper into what that means next week this is a bill bennett podcast special feature it's a conversation with charles coke